everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Transportation and Logistic Podcast, powered by Atlanta Dispatch and Humblebee Enterprises. I am very excited to be here with a special guest. We have Brother John Stauffer, who is the co-founder and COO of Isometric Technologies, a.k.a. ISO. And before we begin, just want to say that the Dispatcher's Guide to the Galaxy is available now as an ebook and a physical book. So you can acquire your copy on barnesandnobles.com or Amazon. And if you're into ebooks, you can get it from Apple Books or wherever else you get your ebooks. But um, without further ado, John, my brother, thank you again for joining me. It's, a, it's truly a pleasure. How's everything? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate you hosting me. And uh, yeah, no, week's off to a great start. Happy Monday. Yes, sir. Happy, happy Monday. And look, for the folks who have not had an opportunity to encounter you in the past, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. And look, feel free to elaborate if you want to, because like I told you, you have a wealth of experience that, you know, I definitely want to be able to highlight. So, uh, yeah, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, sure thing. No, thanks, Jory. So uh, I'm John Stauffer. I am the uh, co-founder and COO of uh, ISO. Um, background in uh, logistics. So I've spent my entire career uh, in transportation and logistics. I got my start at uh, Echo Logistics in Chicago uh, back in uh, you know the uh, early uh, early 2000s, right around when they were investing as full in full truckload as a service. So I joined shortly before they uh, IPO'd, and primarily Echo was built, um, you know, initially uh, as an LTL brokerage. That was kind of their core competency, but they started investing in that in around 2007, 2008. I was one of the uh, first carrier reps on the truckload desk. So one of the first, and when I say first, I should say first, like, you know, 20 or 30. Um And I got to uh, see that team scale from, you know, the early days up to, uh, up till when I left in uh, 2016, um, and at that point, there you know there were several hundred truckload carrier sales reps, you know, um, and, uh, probably close to a dozen teams uh, specializing across all different modes and geographies. So uh, that was really where I cut my teeth and uh, got my exposure to the industry. Um, I spent uh, probably almost five years as an IC. Um, and then I moved into a management role and kind of worked my way up, um, within the organization, uh, overseeing, uh, you know, the, the Southeast, uh, group and then the Southwest and then combined the, the entire group before, uh, before I moved out to, uh, the Bay area. So I was living in Chicago, um. And then my wife and I, uh, my, my wife came home one day during the winter. It was when, you know, polar vortexes became kind of a, a regular occurrence in Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, she, we're, we're getting, you know, warnings on the news saying, you know, you can't walk your dog for more than you know, five minutes outside. Otherwise, their lungs will freeze. And my wife was like, we're out of here. We, we can't do this anymore. So um we started looking at uh, opportunities elsewhere in warmer, warmer climates, and uh, we both uh, we both kind of landed on um, the Bay Area, San Francisco, as kind of where we wanted to land uh, for a couple different reasons. Obviously, there's uh, you know a, a ton of exciting opportunities out here, and we both kind of wanted to break into the the tech industry. So 
Um, we ended up moving out here. My wife uh, ended up landing uh, a marketing job in Clorox, which is based out here in Oakland. And I was able to transfer with Echo. And then um, shortly after moving out to the Bay Area, I was introduced to uh, some former Google employees that were working um, on a self-driving truck company um, called Auto. And I thought to myself, wow, okay, this is uh, a really exciting opportunity. Um, and I've got a pretty relevant background here. I've got, you know, relationships with the majority of the national trucking fleets out there. This could be, um, you know, an exciting opportunity. So um, I approached them from a, a biz dev standpoint, you know, uh, thought that, you know, there, I could be a, a helpful resource for them to, you know, bring the solution to market. And they were kind of more interested in, um, you know, my logistics experience, you know, um, as an example, they would ask me, you know, how does a shipper know how to move something from A to B? Like, how do they know what carriers to work with? Like, how does that whole process work? Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to join them as a, a product manager. So I'd shifted away from, you know, an operations background and uh, was working on, you know, basically a product manager is the liaison between, you know, the business and the, the technical resources there. So um, I, I had an opportunity to join them and help them build out what ultimately would become this kind of like marketplace concept. Um, and, you know, you can kind of think of it as like a, a digital freight marketplace. Um, and then um, oddly <laughs> enough, you know, about six months after I joined, we were we were acquired by Uber. And uh, that's actually where where uh, my co-founder and CEO, Brian Crystal, and I got connected. Um, so. Uh, Uber, you know, the day after the acquisition was announced, um, a small team of folks um, led by Brian uh, were, uh, they came over to our office, which was just a couple blocks away from the, the Uber uh, global headquarters in San Francisco. And they said, hey, who's working on this like trucking marketplace thing? Like, you know, what, what are you doing? And, you know, what's, uh, you know, what, what kind of progress have you made on that so far? And so we kind of, sat on the whiteboard for about, you know, six or seven hours. And uh, we realized very quickly that what we were working on was very complementary to what he and his team uh, were working on at Uber. Um, so Brian, um, for a little bit of background about him, he was Uber's first uh, sales hire globally at the company. Um, and he, you know, was basically brought on to commercialize this, you know, global network of Toyota Priuses uh, around <laughs> around the planet. Um, and he started, you know, figuring out, okay, you know, beyond people, uh, moving people around to, to from A to B, you know, what, what else could we do? They very quickly, you know, uh, aligned around you know, food um, as a solution here. And that ultimately became branded as Uber Eats. Um, but they were starting to do pilots with like the Walmarts and Targets of the world and uh, around doing final mile, um, final mile pr programs. And one of the things that came out of that was, you know, this um, curiosity from those companies about when Uber was going to get into the middle mile or, you know, over the road trucking. So that kind of spurred their interest from the Uber side. And then um, that be ultimately became kind of the founding team for uh, Uber Freight. Um, and I was, uh, I spent about three and a half years there as the product manager um, responsible for kind of building out internal operations tooling or, you know, the, basically the TMS uh, for, for the brokerage. So, 
um, a very exciting uh, period of my time. And Brian and I, um, you know, became very close there, um, spent uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of late nights and hours building out the building out the freight business in those early years. Um, and then um, it was actually uh, our time at Uber where the, the problem that we're solving at ISO was kind of highlighted um, from a, uh, a, you know, from a different altitude, right? Like I've been an operator in the space for almost a decade prior to uh, prior to jo- joining Uber. And, you know, the one thing um, you get kind of, you get used to a lot of the, um, you know, the challenges or, you know, uh, everyday issues that you, you navigate as an operator in the space. And one of those is around scorecarding and, you know, data reconciliation with your shippers. I'd been on the receiving end of hundreds of scorecards from our enterprise shippers while, I, you know, while I was at Echo on the carrier side, you know, you have an account manager send over a scorecard saying, hey, do these, you know, KPIs or metrics line up? We have the opportunity to, you know, provide feedback or a rebuttal window, you know, let me know what shipments we should push back on or which would, which we shouldn't. And as an operator in the space, you know, it's, you, you know, it's frustrating, it's tedious, um, but it's just kind of one of those necessary things in status quo. As someone building out, uh, you know, a TMS or operating tools for an entire brokerage where you've got you know, a couple hundred account managers that are receiving these scorecards across, you know, hundreds of customers every week, you start to realize how much time is go that goes into that process and how many people are involved and how, you know, how many folks that touches across an organization. And then multiply that out across, you know, every single carrier or broker that those shippers are working with. And it's an insane amount of time that goes into basically aligning uh, data sets um, and making sure that everybody's kind of speaking the truth uh, or same language with regard to performance. It has this kind of central source of truth. So that was kind of the, um, you know, the, the, one of those areas that got highlighted for us at Uber Freight. And then we ended up leaving Uber Freight and um, we ended up um, basically, you know, validating this, this challenge with shippers and understanding a little bit more around this scorecarding process. And the one thing that we learned was that, you know, you know, shippers will distribute a scorecard and it's typically, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or it's a Tableau or Power BI dashboard. And inevitably they get this, you know, inbound from carriers and brokers and the account managers that they're working with at those organizations saying, Hey, you know, this is uh, an email, you know, thread that we had last week where you said it was okay if the driver showed up, you know, two hours late. Like you guys ended up counting that against us, but you approved it in this thread or, you know, various pieces of context that ultimately don't make their way back into a TMS uh, and get lost. And so, you know, we kind of pushed a little bit harder on that with the shipper and be like, you know, why do you guys scorecard in the first place? Like, what's this? Uh, you know, what, what's this all about anyway? And ultimately they were like, you know, well, this is really what um, we use to determine who we work with on an annual basis, right? Like, you know, we've got this RFP annual, um, you know, bid process that we, we run and maybe it's, you know, biannual or maybe we do it monthly or quarterly and have these mini bids, but it's your ongoing performance and the service that you guys provide for us that helps dictate whether or not, you know, you're going to continue and stay in the routing guide or if we're going to kick you out. So, 
you know, you think about why the brokers and carriers are incentivized to go through this manual process. It's because, you know, the difference between an 88% on-time delivery uh, for, you know, uh, into Walmart could mean, uh, you know, the, you know, staying in the routing guide or, you know, a couple million dollars, um, you know, uh, on, on the next award. So that was kind of the light bulb moment for ISO. We started the company in uh, 2020, uh, which was great timing. We incorporated in January and uh, closed the seed round in March of 2020, signed a one-year lease at a WeWork, and then immediately we were uh, quarantined mm -hmm. and build, <laughs> building the company behind Zoom screen. So that's uh, a, a little bit about uh, my background and obviously uh, a little bit of foundation and background around ISO, but uh, sorry, I'll, I'll pause there. Oh, yeah. No, man, I love it. I, I truly appreciate the background. And again, everything works together. The fact that you were with Echo, especially in its infancy when it comes to the uh, truckload side of things, gave you all of the operational knowledge you needed to make yourself like a, a player, a shaker when it came to auto. And, you know, that's how you got to the next situation. So it all made sense and it flowed really nicely. Um you know, think about it, though. You said January 2020, you closed your seed round in March. March is when the pandemic happened. How timely was it that you guys were able to close before the pandemic? And for you, after working in a startup environment with the truckload side of things and then even going to auto and building out the stuff for Uber Freight, how was it actually investing to get your own situation, your own company, and then you know, a pandemic shutting down the world a couple months later, like, give us your thought process on that, too. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that uh, it's it's a great question. I mean, had the pandemic hit before we had funding or before we had started the company, who knows what, you know, whether or not we would have gone through with it, right? Like, I mean, the, the task of building a business behind a Zoom screen in this, like, completely unknown reality, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to say how we would have like what, you know, decisions would have changed or what we would have done differently had uh, the circumstances been different. But, um, you know, what I what I would say is that, you know, we, you know, obviously closed the capital and no one knew, we didn't know if this was going to be like a month long thing or two months, like, when are we going back to work? And then I think once, once reality set in and people are starting to, you know, like move away from their primary homes and locations, it was, um, you know, we had, uh, we had the benefit of having really strong relationships with our first customers. And, um, you know, we had built a really, really solid, uh, team. Um, internally, uh, many of which had worked together previously. So there was already kind of this like organic, um, you know, positive culture um, to uh, to navigate some of the challenges that everybody was dealing with um, when the pandemic set in. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to, to you know, if if the circumstances were different and uh, the situation had been shifted around, it's really difficult to know you know, how we would have responded if, you know, we hadn't, you know, started the business or we were, you know, still kind of contemplating starting the business, uh, you know, before the whole pandemic set in just from like a personal emotional standpoint, you know, knowing what, knowing what you're signing up for. Um, but what I will say, you know, the, the impacts or the effects of the pandemic, you know, you look at the supply chain crisis that ensued, 
um, as a result, right? The in- insane demand shocks and, you know, to- the run on toilet paper and um, the incredible amount of demand and pressure that it put on the, um, the trucking community uh, was actually a, uh, I would say a windfall for us, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden you've got this, you know, insane amount of uh, scrutiny and attention on the delivery of goods. Um, and that gave, uh, I mean, there were a couple, uh, a couple, um, you know, impacts of that to us. All of a sudden, you know, we'd be sitting around, you know, the, the t- dinner table at Thanksgiving or holidays. And now all of a sudden our families understand what we do <laughs> to, uh, to, to some extent, right? Um, but also, um, you know, the shipper, the shipper community, you know, we sell, you know, our initial product was sold into shippers and they distribute that out across their, their transportation and broker networks for free. Um, there was, um, you know, there was obviously a lot of um, a lot of attention being given at a lot of, you know, global organizations to the supply chain teams. And, um, you know, we kind of represented a, a, a solution for them to better understand their internal challenges, root cause them quickly and eliminate waste and bottlenecks in their operation. Um, As an example, you know, if you have one warehouse that's, you know, particularly uh, struggling to load trucks or trailers, or they don't have trailers preloaded on time, um, you know, previously it may take a lot of, you know, um, forensics or anecdotal um, discovery to figure out and identify that issue. But with our solution, you know, we click quickly root cause that through the uh, collaboration with the carriers to identify that, quantify the impact and help um, shippers and their carriers make uh, data um, informed decisions quickly. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I think that that's what I would say, you know, the pandemic had uh you know, positive uh, impacts for us, um, you know, given the timing of everything. Right. And you said that the benefit was, or the initial benefit was not only did the seating round close right before everything halted, but you also had a very, very strong relationship with your first customer. How easy was it getting that customer? Like, did you feel like you had to do a whole bunch of selling or did the product and the service sell itself? Um, I mean, I feel, I feel like we had to do a a fair amount of selling for sure. Um, the, you know, we had, they were, you know, our first customers were, you know, we kind of treated as though they were, you know, kind of like design partners. We did a ton of discovery and obviously had, um, you know, had some, uh, pre-existing relationships with those folks, but, um, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying to say, you know, that we weren't selling, right? Um, it, given the, given the timing with the pandemic too, you know, you can imagine the amount of competing priorities going on inside right. these organizations, right? It was just like, hey, we just need to get product on shelves um, and keep the lights on. Um, so, you know, while uh, there were some benefits, you know, it, we, you know, kind of varied by, or, you know, the, the organization. Um, and we're actually starting to see a lot of those companies that were just kind of, you know, keeping keeping their head above water and, and making sure that they could get product out and on shelves. Now, all of a sudden, they're having, you know, the bandwidth to explore kind of strategic solutions like us. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And look, just to kind of back it up, just one step, you know, we're not going to go too far back, but 
you said it was a windfall for you to be able to start the company and, and launch it exactly when you did because of something that was beyond your control. No one had any foreknowledge about the pandemic and what it was going to do to supply chain. Um, I, I wanted to ask you this question, you know, because I think about me even getting started as an entrepreneur in the supply chain. And, you know, when when that was the case, it was relatively easy to get into trucking. Like the prices had not skyrocketed yet, but it was right after the pandemic started. And it was a, a windfall for all the owner operators, all the small fleet owners. You know, it was the golden age of trucking. So much money was to be made. And I wanted to ask this question to you in this way. Do you feel like there was any other time that was more perfect to get into freight brokerage operations than when you did? Because it seemed like that was the that was the catalyst that put you in the driver's seat for a lot of things in the future. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's a good good question. I mean, I think the timing was, uh, you, you know, I I couldn't couldn't control the timing. You know, it was the, my first job out of school. Um, but, you know, I, I look at a lot of uh, mentors in the space and a lot of them came from, you know, like American backhaulers and uh, those guys that were, you know, kind of pioneers in the in the broker space uh, in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I think that that's probably arguably maybe the 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 golden age or, you know, bred uh, some of the you know, the biggest names in the space that have gone on to have some of the, the more successful uh, careers in the space. But yeah, I mean, uh, I guess as a, a close, I, I can't complain about when I joined and the timing, you know, was obviously incredibly uh, uh, fortuitous for me, you know, moving out to the Bay Area and, uh, you know, landing where I did and being, you know, kind of at the ground floor of Uber Freight to, uh, to be part of that experience was obviously, um you know, I, I could have asked for anything more there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess I have timed things well, uh, looking back on it in hindsight. Yes, sir. Some will say that's, that's God, man. That's, that's a, that's a solid time to get into everything. So perfect timing, divine timing. And look on a high level, very high level. What are the solutions that are offered by isometric technologies? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got, uh, we've got two core, core offerings, right? Um, so we've got an enterprise shipper offering that uh, we deploy. We basically sit on top of their, you know, TMS, ERP, or any other, uh, you know, systems that they may have in place, whether, you know, we're pulling data from a data lake and we will um, pub publish scorecards uh, for their transportation networks, right? So we're publishing uh, carrier scorecards, um, along with their inbound customer scorecards, right? So they can see, you know, this is, uh, they can kind of self-police their performance into a Kroger or a Walmart or an Amazon, as an example. Uh, we are also measuring the vendor compliance programs associated with those customers, right? So that, you know, we know that, uh, when an OTIF, penalty should be expected at Walmart, right? Because the, you know, already the requested delivery date was missed. Uh, we basically map the, uh, the performance um, of the, the trans at the, of the shipment level, right? And, you know, back, tie it back to the carrier. And if there were any, you know, vendor compliance uh, violations, right? If any of those SLAs were breached, 
we can calculate what the uh, expected penalty would be and attribute that to the responsible party. So the shippers, at the end of the day, they get this really clean data set that helps them understand, you know, um, how they performed um, and, and you know, who, who was responsible for that performance, um, what the, um, you know, what the root cause behind any, you know, service-related issues may have been and ultimately how much it cost them financially. Um, so it help, basically helps them have this, you know, data-driven and scientific procurement, uh, you know, database to, to understand how they can optimize their, uh, their overall transportation networks. Um, and then, you know, a, a byproduct of that is this, you know, this, this carrier scorecarding workflow, basically, to help facilitate and streamline some of that back and forth uh, rebuttal uh, process that takes place across organizations when their carrier networks um, may have uh, uh, different data um, and they want to uh, dispute that or disagree with it. They have backup context that supports uh, contrary to the uh, the KPIs that they're being surfaced. That's the enterprise shipper product. Um, we are launching a uh, a broker specific solution here in the uh, in the next week here that is basically um, collaborative network scorecards across their or across their transportation networks and customer networks. It's very similar to the shipper offering. Um, and it helps them understand, you know, obviously their, uh, their performance across a, a suite of KPIs, uh, but with an element of benchmarking baked in um, so that they can help, they can understand, you know, what their uh, relative performance is across the industry. So as an example, you know, it, there's, uh, there's really no way for uh, a broker or carrier to understand whether they're within the top 5% of all service providers on a given lane or, or service offering, um, or if they're, you know, um, in the bottom 25%, right? So basically what this product is introducing is a, you know, kind of a service index that will help uh, carriers and brokers better understand their strengths um, and weaknesses and understand opportunities to uh, address those, uh, those opportunity areas. Um, and use that as a sales tool, right? Um, to leverage date, you know, objective third-party neutral data from Switzerland that says, you know, hey, you know, in fact, we are, you know, the top performer on this given piece of business. This is why you should, you know, entertain working with our organization or, um, you know, offer us these uh, these lanes or give us access to this bid or, or that opportunity. Right, right, right. Well, look, the old phrase goes that each story has three sides. It's my side, your side, and the truth. And you can imagine in transportation, there's so many hands to touch things at times that, uh, you know, it can get out of control. So in your opinion, why is it so important to have a single source of, of truth? Yeah, no, good question. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, we've all been uh, a part of you know, the QBRs where you show up and, uh, you know, they throw a bunch of data on a slide and, uh, you know, both parties kind of argue about the quality of that data and who's, uh, whose information is more reliable uh, and, you know, what, what KPIs are missing context or how is this data point calculated or that one. 
Um, I think, um, you know, we believe at ISO that, you know, without a source of truth, you guys are kind of, you know, people are kind of speaking different languages um, and uh, it leads to uh, friction and, you know, kind of misallocation of, um, you know, massive transportation spends, right? So we often, uh, we often kind of um, make an analogy to, you know, kind of like Moneyball, right? You look at the amount of data uh, that's available across, you know, professional sports franchises today and how much they leverage that to build their teams. You look at the budgets for some of these rosters and the payrolls for some of these rosters and, you know, they are dwarfed by the transportation spends of some of these, you know, these, these enterprise shippers. There's, you know, almost a, a million, I think, active MCs now. Um, last time I checked, and there's really no kind of central database to understand, you know, what uh, service levels or performance levels you can expect from working with all these folks. Sure, there's, you know, plenty of information around um, insurance and, um, you know, safety scores and those sorts of things, but there's not really um, a core or key database that helps people understand the level of service they can expect from, you know, a performance standpoint, on-time pick, on-time delivery, tender acceptance, and the overall quality of um, the, the service that they can expect with an organization. And that has, you know, uh, that has financial impact, right? You know, our, our goal is to help introduce, you know, a, a true, uh, KPI that helps uh, uh, helps predict and be an accurate reflection of the level of service that people can expect to work with one another. And that's not just at the carrier level either, right? We believe that, you know, every broker, carrier, uh, shipper, facility um, uh, should have, you know, uh, you know, kind of a, a single source of truth with regard to uh, with regard to performance. Yes, yeah, sir. Would you say that ISO has revolutionized the scorecarding practice. And I mean, when I say revolutionized, I even mean disrupted the industry. That's one question. But tie into that, you know, if people, you know, you said that you saw this across the board. Um, it was something that was made apparent at Uber Freight where you were dealing with all of these shippers who had all of these various brokers that they were working with using all of these carriers. Um, you know, if if you guys are disrupting the industry, are you essentially changing the, there had to be some solution, some resources that was supporting that original way everybody was operating. You know, like even consultants coming in to tell them, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And with that amount of information and context that I threw in there, have you guys disrupted the scorecarding process? Uh, yeah, I mean, I so I think, um, you should talk to our customers. I think that they would, uh, they would, uh, they would argue that we have certainly have, and I think all the carriers and brokers that uh, use the solution uh, would strongly support that. Right? We've got a lot of data that uh, you know suggests that we've created tremendous efficiencies with how uh, the scorecarding or rebuttal process uh, takes place within uh, within these organizations. Um, so much so that that's ultimately, you know, what kind of drove the demand for us creating this this brokerage solution, right? We were you know, kind of ingrained in the com carrier communities of our early customers, um, uh, being all shippers, right? And we'd go to their their carrier conferences, and we were approached by leadership at a lot of the brokers and carriers and hey, guys, our team loves this solution. It's really made working with, you know, this shipper, that shipper, 
uh, much more efficient. There's, you know, no more friction or, uh, or confusion around, you know, how we're performing on this lane versus that lane. Um, you know, now we speak the same language with regard to KPIs and this process is just, you know, way more simple and it doesn't live offline in the spreadsheet, right? It's uh, always available for everybody to log in in the cloud to understand, you know, performance down to the most granular level possible. So, um, you know, we've, I, I would defer to, uh, to our customers um, in their, their, their carrier networks um, with, to, to answer that question. But, you know, the feedback has been uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, and, and we believe that, you know, we're, we're uh, kind of disrupting that space and uh, revolutionizing way that that process takes place today. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And for imagine, right, uh, there are small fleet owners and maybe even smaller brokerages that have not gotten that enterprise shipper. So, you know, maybe operating at a level where they're profitable, but not seeing it, not working with the major, major players. So answer this question like that. I know it varies based on the shipper and the service level agreements, uh, but can you give us an overview of the type of metrics that can be included into the uh, scorecarding process? You know, I know it's simple things like the acceptance rate, the on-time pickup. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, you, you touched on, uh, you touched on the common ones, right? Tender acceptance, on-time pick, on-time delivery. Those are, uh, obviously, um, pretty universally tracked. Um, there's, uh, a, a big, um, a big push that we see for tracking compliance, right? Whether that's, um, you know, through a four kites or a P44, like what level of, uh, coverage and how tracked are, are, are those shipments, um, we see a lot around, um, you know, you know, various KPIs around like lead time, um, you know, what was the, the response time from a tender, um, you know, when was the tender sent relative to the, um, uh, the scheduled pickup date um, and just data, overall data integrity and quality, right? You'd be amazed at how uh, frequently we see data that, you know, shows the, you know, truck uh, departing before it ever arrives, or, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's delivering in a period of time that's physically impossible for the truck to, uh, to make, you know, travel that distance in a given time. So there's, uh, there's a fair amount of energy, uh, you know, focusing on metrics that help, uh, you know, kind of, uh, verify the overall quality of the data itself beyond those kind of core KPIs, but we'll see a mixed bag. Uh, every shipper is a little bit different and has, uh, you know, different KPIs that mean different things to to their organizations. And, um, you know, part of our job as this kind of, you know, kind of neutral, you know, playing field um, is to develop kind of a standard core uh, of those KPIs so that, you know, we can uh, have, you know, this out of the box offering. Um, and start to standardize how uh, performance is measured across all these folks to unlock things like benchmarking, um, which really helps uh, people start to speak the same language with regard to with regard to service. Mm, yes, sir. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I know that you mentioned earlier that the service that you, excuse me, the solution that you guys are providing is streamlining the carrier portion of the dispute process, uh, which obviously saves times and resources for all parties involved. 
why is that important? You know, I know you talked about it for a little bit, but just to answer that specifically, yeah, just talk about that for a bit. Yeah, no, it's a great question and it's uh, it's critical. So I appreciate uh, not not overlooking that. I mean, in order for uh, a shipper and a carrier to agree on, uh, uh, you know, a source of truth, right? In air quotes, um, you know, that requires both parties to agree, right? Like, uh, so without giving the carrier the ability to, uh, you know, basically share their, you know, their story or their version of the truth with, you know, supporting documentation or context, then it's one-sided, right? So we know, we knew that in order for, you know, this, you know, our data to be viewed as truth, we needed to facilitate this, um, you know, kind of collaboration across, uh, across organizations to land on um, an acceptable truth, right? Make sure that both, you know, both parties have the opportunity to present their story, right? Um, so, um, and then that's what's facilitated through the, through the workflow. Okay. And look, across the board, you know, you've been working in this capacity for quite some time, you know, even way back with Echo and then even with Uber and now your own organization. Is there a most disputed metric by carriers? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to go back and I, I mean, without having data right in front of me, um, I think that uh, it would probably most likely be something around late deliveries. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, the, the, you know, the reason codes vary, uh, across the board, right. Uh, the obvious ones being, you know, kind of weather traffic to, you know, the, the dog ate my homework, um, and, and everything under the sun. But yeah, that's probably the most common one because that's got, you know, that's particularly, you know, one of the more painful ones and, uh, most scrutinized KPIs. Right. Right. And look, you guys dealing with a whole bunch of shippers, everybody's different. Everyone has their own way of doing things. They all have their own service level agreements. And, you know, from them utilizing ISO services, have there been any metrics that have been consistently mind boggling once they got the true, true, the true information, you know, that single source of truth that maybe even said that, you know, maybe they were their own Achilles heel at the end of the day that was causing some of the delays. Do you have anything that you've seen kind of consistent across the shippers that have been utilizing your services? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I think all of the KPIs have pretty powerful stories uh, to tell. I mean, how I would, you know, kind of explain that is um, all of these, you know, the, the, the KPI values themselves, you know, it, they lack context, right? Um, you know, looking at a 90% on-time delivery, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't really do much, do much for you when you're trying to understand what's causing this, right? So what we're doing is we're collecting root cause and context behind all of these things. And the thing that was kind of eye-opening for us is it's, it's about a, you know, it's, it's, about a third, uh, a third of the time, it's you know the the carrier's responsibility. Um, it's another third of the time, it's the shipper's responsibility, and then another third, uh, it's the customers, right? The receivers. So it's shared pretty equally across those uh, those three stakeholders. And I think you know, as a uh, as you know, a former kind of service provider, a carrier, you know, it, the 
it's usually the carrier is guilty until proven innocent. And we all know, you know, that's not necessarily true, but to see the, how evenly distributed that responsibility is across a lot of these metrics was, uh, was pretty eye-opening. Mm, yes, sir. And look, what is that implementation process like when a shipper has decided that they want to move into this, this century and utilize the technologies that you guys have? Like, is it a seamless thing? Is it very involved? What's that like? Yeah, no, I mean, we're a, uh, we're a pretty flexible solution. We've got multiple different uh, implementation options for, for a shipper. Um, obviously, you know, being a, a, a modern, uh, you know, tech solution, you know, we're, we're API first, but we do have other uh, implementation methods uh, to get shippers up and running a little bit quicker out of the box, um, more IT light solutions. Uh, but, you know, we, we sit on, like I said earlier, we sit on top of, you know, TMS, ERP, um, and aggregate different uh, different data sets across a shipper system. So the complexities can be, you know, um, they, they kind of vary depending on the level of um, customization that a shipper would require. Uh, but by and large, the uh, implementation process is uh, pretty straightforward. And if you go with our kind of standardized out-of-the-box uh, metrics that are universally tracked across everyone. It simplifies things uh, and uh, decreases that implementation time quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. And that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. With you guys doing this for now, you know, several years, 2020, we're now 2023. You have a lot of use cases, a lot of case studies, a lot of people that you've been able to provide this service to. Have you found that you guys are now consulting more like coaching shippers on internal and external kpis and maybe even the service level agreements that influence the numbers the most yeah um there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of that and there's a lot of you know kind of knowledge sharing across the network and taking you know uh this learning from this shir sh uh, shipper and sharing it across uh across the rest of the network or from you know this carrier broker and sharing it across the network in terms of the best practice um, so absolutely, there's definitely, you know, we're definitely, you know, racking up learnings, um, you know, with each additional customer and, uh, um, you know, carriers that we onboard. Uh, and we like to be incredibly collaborative with our, um, with our network, right? We want to, you know, be facilitating this, you know, knowledge, uh, knowledge share across our uh, existing network of um shippers and carriers as well right we're always looking for we're always looking for feedback from the people using the solution and trying to understand uh, the why behind the what uh, that we see in in uh, in the data and uh, that goes from you know the the performance data that we that we publish but also the the product usage data too um so yeah no it's a it's a great question something that we we take a lot of pride on yes sir yes sir I know owners of warehouses in this area and, you know, just all across America. Is there a certain threshold volume wise that would make your solution more attractive for a specific company? Um, on the, the warehousing side? On the, or as a shipper? basically the shipper, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. People who are the actual shippers. Yeah. So uh, from an actual shipper standpoint, I mean, basically anybody with access to, uh, you, you know, basically a TMS is who we would say is qualified. Um, I think anybody shipping into uh, locations with vendor compliance programs. So this is anybody going into like a Walmart or a Target or uh, an Amazon 
um, or any of these shippers that have, uh, you know, placed a lot of scrutiny and um, have, you know, pretty complex uh, vendor compliance programs and SLAs that shippers need to navigate, uh, they would be particularly interested in our solution because we help, you know, give you information to, you know, better manage those relationships, better understand the costs uh, that get incurred as a result of, you know, violation of those programs and help you, uh, um, you know, take that information and work with your transportation providers uh, on, uh, you know, building out solutions to, to delivering uh, higher service levels. Yes, sir. Look, I know coming from the Uber freights of the world and all that kind of good stuff, that bulk freight, you know, things that are looking the same every single time is that tends to be how we like to build our our networks around our infrastructure, our transportation infrastructure. So I'd imagine that the shipper that you had in mind might have been a full truckload shipper. Have you guys started to dabble with drayage or intermodal or even LTL? So um, all of our shippers, you, you know, your your assumption is right. Uh, we did start with a heavy focus on uh, full truckload, uh, but all of our shippers today do LTL, um, and we're we're managing that for them from a from a uh, analytics and scorecarding standpoint. Um, we are also measuring intermodal. All of our shippers do all three of those. We aren't doing anything in the drayage space today yet. Um, although that is, uh, you know, on the roadmap and something that we're keenly interested in, uh, in breaking into. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, I love that, man. That's awesome that you guys have hit that LTO space. I might have something for you. I'm not even going to lie to you. Well, all right. Um, you know, we're some folks ears. are trying to step their game up and, uh, this might be that type of situation. Okay. 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 And, um, well, yeah, I definitely want to talk about the, the carrier side. And we, you said you have a, a freight brokerage offering that's coming out pretty soon. I think you even said next week. So um, that's definitely something I want to talk about. I know we've been on now for about 50 minutes. Are, are you pressed or are you OK? Uh, no, I'm good to keep going for another. Uh, I'm good till the top of the hour. Okay, bet. Well, that's that's where we're going, brother. That's exactly where we're going. And um Okay. Where does the traditional scorecarding fail when thinking about a shipper's responsibilities? And, you know, that is, that is holding them to the fire on those service levels agreements. You know, we want to say that brokers and carriers are responsible for these things, but I'd imagine that there are also some inconsistencies or some service failures that happen on the shipper side as well. Um, so, yeah, where does it traditionally fail in the scorecarding process when we're talking about holding shippers accountable? Yeah, um, I, from, you know, from our observation, the traditional shipper scorecard fails in a couple different areas. Number one, most of them lack context, right? Most of them lack that root cause um, uh, that says, hey, yeah, this shipment was late, but it was because the customer didn't have, you know, uh, any appointments available until after the RDD, right? Don't, don't hold, you know, the carrier accountable for that. Um, or, hey, this was late because, you know, the, you guys didn't have any product ready and you told us to come back the next day, right? Like that's, that, that's kind of, uh, one of the big areas where we see a lot of shipper scorecards, um, you know, kind of failing uh, in their in their current state. Um, also, you know, there's um, many of them are, you know, managed in Excel and not 
updated or brought back into core systems. So I mentioned earlier um, in the call, you know, showing up to a quarterly business review and, um, you know, everybody, you know, carriers looking confused at the, the data that's being presented on a slide because that has that doesn't reflect all of the, you know, offline conversations saying, hey, yeah, these shipments were late, but uh, they were your fault. Please update these scores. It doesn't get worked back into the TMS. So the, the you know, the core source data um, <clears throat> doesn't actually accurately reflect, you know, what the carriers and the shippers are, you know, working through on, on a weekly basis, right? So they've got this massive drift in, you know, tr quote unquote truth um, at the end of the day. Um, and I mean, you know, personally, having seen the amount of time and energy that goes into, uh, you know, managing these traditional scorecards that shippers are sending out, um, I mean, they completely miss, miss the mark in terms of data collaboration and making it easy to understand, you know, what, what issues are directly impacting every KPI, helping isolate all of those really simply and in, in unlocking the ability to uh, collaborate uh, across uh, across organizations. Um, I think they've completely missed the mark on uh, on that piece. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, finally, I would say the ability for the shippers to go take that information and action it, right? Like the um, the so what behind all of this work and data, um, I think uh, from, from our perspective, um, still requires a lot of uh, manual analysis inside the shipper to then go make that data actionable. Um, whereas, you know, a solution like ISO, we, um, you know, we help, um, you know, through, through this kind of reconciliation process, uh, give the shipper, you know, all of the information at their fingertips to go take action um, and correct some of the issues that are driving their, their, uh, their service challenges. Right, right, right. You mentioned collaborate, missing the opportunity to collaborate. Why was it important for you guys to, you know, not restrict the number of users on the accounts that you guys established? What was the deciding factor on that decision? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we have unlimited users for, um, you know, I think the primary reason is, um, you know, we know that the, the more folks that have access to this data uh, across an organization, and that's not just limited to the shipper too, that's at the carriers and brokers also, um, the more, uh, the more value that we can create um, and the more that we can learn um, from our, from our users. Right. So um an example is, you know, we rolled out with our first customer and we started to see that people in the accounting and finance department were requesting logins. And we said, hey, why, uh, you know, why are those folks interested? It's like, oh, well, they don't have access to our TMS. So they actually don't know how, like what actually happened on a given shipment. And, you know, when our carriers and brokers are coming in and requesting detention or this accessorial, um, they now can search for this themselves in ISO and see whether or not, um, you know, the shipment, you know, should, you know, that, that accessorial should be approved. Um, you know, that's a use case that wasn't, you know, super anticipated, but, you know, we, we can take and, you know, bring that back to our product team and understand, you know, are there additional, um, you know, 
areas of value that we could deliver for groups beyond transportation and you know customer service within within a shipper. Similarly, you know, at a broker, you look at how some of these brokers are set up. Mostly, you know, um, you've got an account manager, and maybe the accounts are you know split up across a handful of folks, whether it's ge- geographically or whatever. But they can network that to you know the carrier sales folks are the people that ultimately have, you know, the closest pulse on, you know, what happened with the shipment. They can, you know, quickly distribute this work um, in their organizations and make it, you know, uh, less painful to, um, you know, basically evaluate audit and, uh, and, you know, code or go through that rebuttal process with their shippers. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, I think that's perfect, man. The more the merrier, especially if it's going to, stop any potential bottlenecks, which is what ultimately your product is doing, is uh, streamlining the entire process. So I think it makes perfect sense. And mentioning the fact that the broker solution is about to go live, brokers are going to leverage or want to be able to leverage your information to even prospect shippers based on scorecards. And whether or not this scorecard uh, the the grade that a shipper is you know receiving or the marks that the actual carriers are leaving about a specific shipper that would entice them to actually prospect that shipper you know more aggressively and I brought that up because of the whole concept of I know that you are you said that you want to know the actual user's perspective like so the carrier who's moving the freight you want to you want to capture their thoughts and it made me think about even the possibility of are you guys formalizing the google slash the yelp review the carrier's perspective for these shippers and receivers so you know it's just very interesting stuff it's all new so it seems like the sky's the limit yeah, no, it's uh, it's something that we get a lot. A lot of people are like, you guys are kind of like turning into the Yelp for transportation and logistics, huh? Um, and and we we absolutely, you know, I think using the data as a sales tool in a couple different ways, you know, prospecting shippers that are, you know, seemingly, you know, uh, uh, friendly or carrier friendly uh, is obviously, you know, one point, but um, leveraging that data too, from like a pricing perspective and how, you know, how, how do you, how do you price out like a, an RFP or, you know, uh, uh, you, you're, you know, you're pricing out an award and you see, you know, the average dwell time at this particular location is, you know, X minutes, you know, how do you, how do you bake that into your pricing strategy? So people see, I think a lot of applications with the analytics that we're going to be, um, that, that will be accessible through the brokerage solution. Yes, sir. And it's because of that, that I'm I'm happy to help in whatever capacity that I can. I definitely see this as cutting edge technology and the visibility that you guys are giving to just, you know, historically people that wouldn't be able to have it. I appreciate it. And my, my last question would be, why is this transparency, this collaborative freight FICO score needed now? Uh, where can they go to find more information? Yes, our, our website uh, would be the first place I would look. It's uh, www.iso.io. Um, and then uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn. That's a great, uh, a great channel um, where we're, uh, we're pretty active with uh, communications there. So uh, those would be the two places I'd look. Okay, well, perfect. Any closing remarks, brother? 
No, Jory, thanks for having me. This has been a great time and uh, appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with your audience. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, look, again, brother, I appreciate you and everybody. Uh, I would say tune in on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be highlighting uni shippers, you know, so that's the opportunity for you to franchise a whole entire, you know, service in a box. They have all type of agreements uh, where you can offer all types of freight solutions. It's kind of like a shipping concierge service. Uh, so a former VP of sales for their corporate has now gotten his own franchise. So I'm just going to be talking to that brother about his experience. Maybe it's something that you're interested in doing. Um, and tune in Monday morning, 730 Eastern uh, Standard Time as we partner up with Freightway Sonar Team, what we've done every Monday for the past two years uh, to let you know where to put your trucks to take advantage of the market conditions. And uh, yeah, so thank you again, John, and everybody be blessed. Thanks so